into the ground. We're back. Another week. Two great guests. First time. We're, normally, we like to outnumber our guests and uh, you know bully them a little bit, but this time it might be a, a fair fight. Uh, you guys have been waiting for this moment for a while, I feel. You probably didn't even know what was happening, but we got Curtis and Adam of Chamberlain on the pod. What's up, guys? What up? Hello. <laughs> How's it going? So yeah, yeah. This yeah. uh, this kind of came around in a in a kind of funny way. Um, you guys posted a clip of our podcast on the Chamberlain uh, Instagram page of when we had a uh, friend of the pod, executive producer Matt Pryor, on the pod. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That was uh, that was uh, our 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 long friend Reese uh, sent us a video of. That actual video that got posted, he sent oh, us that okay. video to the oh, Chamberlain. Was, was it his emojis that he included as well? The very <laughs> no, I believe that emojis. was later. That was done. That was done in post. Oh, nice. that was done in post. Oh, very, yeah. very professional. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was like a, it was no, like that, an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, he's he's tapped in. Reese is tapped in, so he 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 clues us in on 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 all the praise and all the shit talk that happens out in the world. Okay, yeah, we were yeah. we were shocked to to find it, make it back to you guys. Uh, Sometimes, you know, when you record this stuff, it's just kind of like, you don't know who's actually listening. Yeah, we, oh, haven't we, gotten a, we haven't gotten a cease and desist from uh, Tim Kinsella yet, so I assume <laughs> nobody we hears. We're oh. talking about Tim Kinsella as well. Um, Let's tag him. Let's tag him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what are, your, what are your thoughts on Tim Kinsella? While, while we, we haven't asked that question <laughs> yeah, in a while. I was saying, yeah. uh, uh, I, personally, I have no thoughts on him. I don't know him very well, but um, fan of his music. Okay. That's an opinion. Yeah. That's an opinion. Adam, yeah. you got any hot takes? I have no hot takes. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I wish I could say I, I listen to, um, you know, the podcast all the time. But um, yeah, sh- shout out again to Reese for uh, being the guy who's the the, the most scenester of us that has a beard <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> Everyone's got to have that one person who like keeps everyone tethered to what's going on, right? Yeah, he's right. the one. He's like the the single guy in Alaska that just sits around and, and takes stuff in. Alaska? How did Reese get to Alaska? Or is this just a metaphor? Uncle Sam. No, well, he's always kind. Of, he's always been metaphorically in Alaska, but now he's physically in Alaska. Man, what don't they place? pay? They pay people to live there, don't they? That's that, what the is Simpsons that the Uncle Sam you're referring to? Uh, he works for the government. Yeah, the Uncle uh, Sam. Classic Reese. Nice. What are yeah, you guys uh, doing now? Yeah. What are we doing, Adam? What do uh, I started a uh, like a little boutique creative agency, probably Jesus Christ, I don't know, twelve years ago, um, with a friend of mine, Neil St. Clair, who was also from the music world, the Revelation band world. Um, So once we met out here, and out here meaning Southern California, we just kind of started. I always did design through music, and you know, all of our not our artwork necessarily, but just through band world. And so we started that up and just been going ever since. Cool. Adam, what yeah. are you doing? Uh, well, I'm lucky enough to kind of make a living doing music stuff. I do a lot of um, like music supervision, music strategy, and then I, I do a lot of uh, film score for various documentaries, mostly oh, documentaries. Awesome. I was on your, uh, I was looking through your credits today and I, uh, I was happy to see that you did that web only blinds to go ad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there was a blind. It's a funny I story, but wait, that is on my, you must've, where is that list? It's on your, it's on your website, <laughs> on your, on your credits, on your website. It's just turning into like, like my a, personal website. 
<laughs> or maybe I have it in the LinkedIn page or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm, it is. I'm a hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent. If this turns into an Adam roast, I'm fine. Okay. This is like a Nardwire interview over here. Andrew's digging deep. <laughs> like, like the most talented one in the group is we're going to roast him. You got it. Well, thank you. Tell me, tell me how this, you know, tell me how this mythical blinds to go ad came to be. I mean, this is the, the least exciting uh, piece of work I've ever oh my done. God. Are you going to go deep? Let's go deep. No, but I, I, uh, I need more vodka. I was watching like Monday night football and I was walking around the house and I heard this little like guitar riff going on. I was like, why do I know that riff? I know that riff. Why do I know that riff? And then it like dawned on me like two minutes later. It's like, wait, I wrote that. Wait, <laughs> <my> go back. <laughs> and that's and now the famous blinds to go guitar riff. No, it was just like a spot that um, a friend of mine who runs a commercial music house uh, had pitched it and like didn't tell me that it was a go. So I didn't know about it until I actually like heard it. It, it was a blind it. to go. Wild. It's kind of romantic that we're all the way back to jingles. Like our first recording. What was the what was the um when we recorded the split lip um like the early the early split lip stuff, the um was it Beeper Depot? Like there was like some jingles that the that the person who recorded us had recorded that we all knew and it was like a running joke. Oh, I love that. I love the yeah. idea of like choosing your producer off of like the jingle. Oh, like, no, the, we what, didn't we didn't choose them that way, but back in Indiana. I know, but I love the, the idea of like that yeah. being a thing. But like in Indiana in the '90s, trying to do music, you're just sure. All right, you you gotta go. you gotta dig up that blinds to go riff, and we'll like we'll try to get that to mean? be like the next TikTok trend. Like it's the second like song the home... on the new record. What are you talking about? <laughs> so you have to dig it up. But that's like it's like the uh, the Home Depot beat that like goes unnecessarily hard became like a TikTok trend. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So blinds to go riff is is the next one. Blinds to go to the polls. That's what I always say. There we go. I mean, it, it was yeah, it was like a streaming only thing that happened. You know, for I think one evening, and then that was the end of that. Ad. I mean, at least it's on your reel. That's good. Yeah, yeah. But it's on my reel because yeah. it's that's it's a, a yeah that's a, a, that's a, that's a resume piece. Oh yes, yeah, so you have an IMDb. What's on your IMDb? Oh, <laughs> so my IMDb uh, is. I mean, to to be fair, he is. Uh, chin deep in a documentary right now that's pretty inspiring oh, so what's the uh, what's the documentary about oh uh, i guess i can i can i think i can finally talk about it um, oh yeah oh, with shit, sorry exclusive <laughs> ritg exclusive <laughs> no, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's premiering um in a couple weeks so at a festival so it's a uh, no i did a film uh, about january i didn't uh direct it but i scored a film about january 6th and uh, all the all the big players are in it. It's kind of a play-by-play of the horrific events of January 6th. But you know, who are the big the, players? Well, I just mean um, all all the 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 Capital City Police, um, some of the National Guard, but then also, you know, um, Nancy Pelosi and Hakeem Jeffries and uh, uh, Adam Kinzinger and you know, Liz Cheney. All those people are in it. Oh, nice. They so, play on it too. Yeah, Pelosi, but, um, <laughs> Pelosi plays a mean harmonica. So this is the Discovery Plus January sixth documentary. Yes, yeah, I, um, I it's, it's also on your web page. <laughs> <laughs> yes. it's top secret, guys. Yeah, yeah. no, I I, ju- I just updated my web. Someone asked for my reel, and I just updated it. All anyway, right. why are we talking about That's this? That's awesome. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I also love the idea of P- Pelosi having like a. Having like a like a Bruno in the accelerator style like <laughs> sideband, <laughs> or is it, is it no? Great. Is it Bruce in the accelerators? Return to Bruno is the record. I forget. Whatever. 
whatever uh, uh, Bruce Willis is like weird blues band is oh right. bruce willis yeah. i didn't know where you were going with that oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. come on you don't know bruno man uh-huh. sorry I I i'm bruno. unfamiliar also are, are you guys familiar with the um it's actually really funny it's it's the guy who is like one of the owners of madison square garden but his band sure <laughs> oh no no oh no so this is like a thing i gotta find the name um but uh he is like one of the owners, or like one of the main investors, uh, and it's this crazy, shitty band that has opened for like legendary acts, like open for like U two, open for you know, oh, probably. just because he owns the house. And literally, everyone's like, "Who the fuck is this guy? Why is this band have all these crazy like you know supporting credits?" And it's literally like he's like one of the main owners of Madison Square Garden, and then sticks his shitty bar band on the front of like major major acts. I feel it's like this so, is a segue into Chamberlain for sure. Yeah, wait, where are yeah. you going with this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to get back to the uh, to the Matt Pryor thing because it is kind of the reason why you're why you guys are here, or at least what initiated you guys coming on the pod. And uh, I was the just pod. curious about like. Is there beef now? Do you think he was being serious? No, there's not beef. Ah, he, was making, I he was I making fun of me. He was like, making fun of them. Oh, God. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, it was kind of uh, you guys. Yeah, I was going to say. Like uh, I said, those emojis he took went, you on the- He went on to say very nice things. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I, I have uh, very, very little... Uh, especially me. I have very little beef with any of that world. Uh... I'm just trying to manufacture some. It's good I'd, for publicity. I'd, I think <laughs> I, we got our payback when when we told him to sign a doghouse early on. So that was, <laughs> that, was that was the payback. It was early. Yeah. It was uh, the prequel. Well, I love that your uh, your fan base is kind of like it's it's kind of like when the deplorables thing backfired. You now have like your your fan base of insufferables. Oh, they call sure. it, and people kept the, saying intolerable. The so intolerable. Like, Did you yeah. even listen? Um, no, I doubt. I doubt people did listen. I think they. I think uh, <laughs> like like everything in the world, they took they took you know one percent of it and ran with it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you're you're welcome I, I mean, to your new look, fan base I, I would, name. You know, I would say that I would be offended, but I think we. I think that the Get Up Kids and us shared a very very similar fan base. So I don't think <laughs> they're actually anything. they're actually playing at another former guest's uh, venue tonight in Asbury Park. So. Oh, I almost canceled yeah. to go see Matt Pryor. No, you didn't. Yeah. Anyway, no, didn't. it would have just been it would have just been me and you. So can we talk about Chamberlain real quick? I'm sure uh, I'm not gonna Yeah, no, we're gonna do it anyway. So nah, I think it's funny. here's my I, I'm not gonna ask all the boring questions like how did you go from like a post-hardcore band to a country band? But yeah, like you- I wanna I wanna talk about the new record. Because we were talking about it with um with uh Norman when he was on yeah um and I, I it's such an amazing record like what made you guys just get back together was it like riffs building up or like what uh, happened Bored it all started the with the blinds to go riff and everyone just yeah, yeah exactly like, yeah everyone, everyone was like yeah uh, it's lightning inspired. in a bottle baby you know <laughs> uh, i really hope that this uh production company does not listen to this um <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, come on rubes I feel like it started maybe three or four years prior to the record when I would just go to Indiana and I'd visit David every once in a while, you know, 
borrow his acoustic guitar and we it's like a disease you know you just can't help but riff and uh. come up with stuff and um suddenly there was like two or three ideas floating around and um it was just sort of a synergy like it, it just we had needed to get together to rehearse for the moon my saddle um reunion thing in two th- the 20th anniversary in 2018 so we all went to california i was like you know what? i should bring some of these songs that we came up and see if the guys want to try to work them out maybe we can come up with something i think we wrote parts of some other sky when we were out there yeah and then started playing that live and then it was like well we have a new song and then we went to europe and um i don't know if i'm getting the chronology right but uh it was one of those things where it was just like shit we like scratched the itch and now we gotta like finish scratching it until it doesn't i itch don't think anymore. it's as depressing as that it was like look we <laughs> <laughs> like fuck we gotta on. write a new record we, there's a shorthand that we all have just from growing up together and i think we're all finally kind of in a place where we're all comfortable and doing what we're doing and and uh we were going to be together anyway and rubes is always writing and whether it's work or it's for solo stuff or it's for other people that he's working with in new york or whatever and some of it just feels you know he'd throw us stuff every once in a while be like hey i've been kind of working on this and then i think that i think that happened a couple times and it didn't it didn't hook we we weren't in the right place the the, the, it wasn't there and because everything kind of fell into the right place we went to europe together it felt good um adam and i are the ones who are uh how do i say this uh like we're the ones that plan everything like if something's gonna happen it's adam and i agonizing over it like a thousand texts every (laughs) week and uh you know self-doubt and all of the things wrapped into one so it's always us and i think we were both like i mean if it's if we don't like what comes out of it then if if it's not fun a because I don't know. I'm a dad of two. I have a great wife. I have a great business. I like, I live in an awesome place. I don't need to do this. (laughs) Like, it's not something that like I have to painstakingly go through. It's like, if we're going to get to get, Oh, awesome. We're going to, you mean we're going to go to Nashville and we're all going to hang out and we're going to hang out with one of our best friends, Carl Bramel. And we're like, we'll see if it works. Mm -hmm. That was the whole thing. It was like, we'll see if it works. We'll see if we like what we do. And if we don't, we'll just move on. It's fine. Was but, it just the three of you guys? No. I mean, no. to get the chronology right now, it's actually, we did the Moon My Saddle thing, and then Carl had proposed, hey, or we had thought it would be cool to have a single to bring to Europe. That's and then right. Carl, Carl said, hey, why don't you guys come down here, and if it works, then maybe we can talk about making a record. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up doing uh, Some Other Sky, and then we kind of did the song Red Weather on kind of like a, as kind of a goof, as an extra thing. Mm-hmm. And we did an acoustic song. Um, Didn't we do I think we uh, just, street, that B-side too then? Yeah, street the singer? street singer B-side. And then, um, yeah, and we all kind of left away, like left Nashville feeling really good. And then it was like, all right, Carl, well, what would it take for you to just finish the record? And he was uh, super excited about doing it. And we were super flattered that he wanted to work with us. Yeah. So um, it kind of just took off from there. And then we had to do a Kickstarter because we were like, wait, we don't have any money to pay Carl. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any, we haven't saved any money. Um, so yeah. sort of out of necessity, uh, it was a nice thing. Cause then, you know, we didn't know what the audience response would be. And then it's like, once people start backing it and then you raise the money, you're like, oh, well, 
we already know that we've we've already sold X amount of records, which right. is, and with all yeah. of Curtis and my self doubt, it was kind of like the perfect uh, perfect scenario for us. Well, yeah, it's like pre selling records. It's great. I, I mean, labels are awful. They're fucking terrible. Labels are <laughs> people that start labels are people who can't play music. It's just like like you know they're like rich. <laughs> rich oh kids with, they can't play music and so anybody like, who owns a label who's listening to this everyone he's every single label owner no not every kevin duquette if you're out there he's kidding we're trying to get jeff kazaza to, to lock in a date here this isn't going to help our, our you know <laughs> i mean i you're going to keep throwing out names eventually we'll talk shit but i don't i, I don't have any personal ian mckay go <laughs> <laughs> we'll start at so, the top <laughs> i think uh i think it was the perfect way to kind of like aside from just like okay we'll just put it out all by ourselves and then and in a vacuum and then put it out it was a kind mm -hmm. of a, it's like this promotional thing it's like it was great it it, it worked out perfectly yeah. we found the people who wanted it don't care about the people do, who don't want it i mean obviously i love people that don't want it most of my friends probably didn't want it <laughs> but like it was great it was a perfect way to kind of roll that out um and it was it, sort of it, a surprise, right? It just came out of, I mean, at least it, it came out of nowhere for me. I don't know. <laughs> for the people who weren't paying attention to the Kickstarter, it just came yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, and that's uh, a lot of people. Um, yeah. It was, uh, it, well, because we didn't want to, like, we just were, we were just riffing on this idea. If it right. worked, it worked. If it didn't, it didn't. And, uh, and by that, I mean, like, if we liked it, then cool. Yeah. So um, when was the last time Chamberlain was active, like, full time? Never. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last uh, time Split Lip was active full time? Yeah, 1996. Oh, no, okay. uh, uh, I mean, I'd say 2000 was probably like the cutoff of like when everybody was trying to make it full time. I don't know. I don't know. Adam, you would probably be better at answering that. Well, than yeah, me, I saw, I stayed around and kicked the dead horse longer than anyone else. So, um, and David. So yeah, I mean, 2000 was kind of done, but um, I don't know. I would say we were kind of full-time probably around, you know, when we went to Europe for the first time in like 97, it felt like a full-time gig. It felt mm -hmm. like this yeah. is our lives. This is our lives. This is what we're doing. Doghouse got us this like distribution deal with Polydor and we were, you know, on like a real tour in the UK for the first time. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that felt like the last time we were really, you know, because then we went, we lived in Bloomington. We all had like college lives and Bloomington lives and we didn't really hang out that much. So it didn't really feel like we were um, doing it full time the way we were probably around 97. So, yeah, you guys are kind of spread out all over the place at the moment. Curtis, you said you're in California, correct? Adam, where, where are you coming yeah. from? Uh, New York. Oh, what, what part yeah, of New York? I'm uh, Harlem. Okay. I'm over in Jersey City in a... Uh, not too not too far away. Yeah, I'm, Where, what um, about everyone I'm else as in the close band as point? I can comfortably be to any any member in the band right now. <laughs> okay, yeah. Where where's everyone else coming from? Uh, Charlie's in Nashville. Okay. David's in and David's the holdout in Indianapolis. He started family young and 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 built his life there. And uh, where's uh, Clay's out by you, Adam? Well, Clay's in Long Island. Yeah, okay. about three hours east. Yeah, nice. So yeah, like what what's what's it like recording a record with that kind of distance in terms of like you guys got together and, and riffed and it was good, but like when it came down to the actual like writing portion of it, how did that all come together? Um, 
you know, it's a lot of trading MP3s and that sort of thing. And, and the, it's a, I mean, you would be horrified to know how little was prepared before we got into the studio. But well, that, I think no, that's, I like to ask because a lot of bands do that in a way that like I can't fathom personally. Uh, but yeah, a lot of bands su- surprisingly, like you find out like write everything in studio. You know, and that yeah. that sounds like an incredible yeah. amount of pressure. I mean, Adam Adam's being a little. Uh, He's being a little coy here, but he he spends. I mean, he he writes the the lion share of everything, okay. and then uh, he, either he or David has like the core of a song, and we went into the studio with basically that. Like, okay, cool. We have these like, you know, we know like I I know the progressions of things that you guys want to do. I know like I I feel like what the song is probably gonna feel like. But then once we got in the studio, it was actually the most we are usually um, painstaking. It's like usually very painful. Like when back when we were sharing a room together and we were like writing, it was fucking painful. Like every <laughs> like it was years of writing to get one record done, and that was a nine song record. You know, like it was it was painful. So this process was without without a doubt the most relaxed. I mean, on on at least on our end, we walked into the studio with these like frameworks of songs. And Carl was just like, okay, I'm going to set up like my pedal steel and I'm going to set up my acoustic and then, you know, go in there and let's, let's go over stuff. And we went over stuff for like a couple hours the first day without recording, I think. And then the next day it was just like, all right, let's take the song where it goes. And I even, I mean, I think most of it went pretty smoothly. I think some of it we traded off even. Wasn't there songs that ended up being like the lyrics would like all like we paired the lyrics with like another song like that on the fly? that happened with uh, Not Your War. Um, yeah, it was a different song, and David then t- took the lyrics and put them on to Not Your War. Um, but I mean, the idea was, I mean, at least Carl and I had talked about this. Like, let's try to do two or three basic tracks a day. Like, let's see if we can just get the meat and bones of two or three tracks. Whether we get the final vocal or the scratch guitar or whatever, like let's just get a band version of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we had four days in like the main studio, you know, uh, the studio called Creative Workshop, and then we finished everything at Carl's place, um, you know, guitar overdubs and vocals and all that, in different sessions. Man, yeah, for the most yeah. part, I'd say it was when we left. It was like pretty pretty baked though before like overdubs and stuff like that it was it was fun it was a, it was a, it was the most laid back and the most vibey record we've ever done Man. yeah you guys kind of treat it as like a well i guess yeah like when you're kind of across the country from each other and and there really isn't a kind of like pressure outside of just the studio time you booked you know you can kind of treat it more as like a little vacation you know like a, like a little weekend away with the with the friends you know <laughs> Actually, we we talk about that. I always compare these trips as like when we do tours and stuff. It's like it's like a snowboarding trip with my bros. It's like, yeah. cool. <laughs> like, only I have to carry heavy fucking boxes sometimes. Well, but unlike a snowboarding trip, usually it pays for itself. You know, you get, you get like paid to play a show or whatever. Yeah. It is, but. Do you have any uh, Do you uh-huh. have any favorite venues across the country? Any kind of uh, favorite cities to play over the years? Oh. That's a good question. That is a good question. I mean, I think when we did the Gaslight Anthem tour in 2010, one of my personal motivations for wanting to do that tour was like, oh my God, like I've always wanted to play First Avenue. 
I've right. always wanted to play the Wiltern. Like, when the hell is Chamberlain going to get to play these venues? So, yeah. um, those were two that were. Um, House of Blues in Boston was amazing too. I mean, so on that that tour, those are the best venues we've ever played for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, and I th- I mean, as far as cities go, East Coast was always really good to us as like early on. Um, you know, New Jersey and and like we. I feel like we lived in New Jersey for a while. Like Brunswick, yeah, I was gonna say Jersey. I I I honestly thought you guys were from New Jersey. Yeah, but, no, you know like, when I uh, when I was in high school, the moon my saddle came out, and I was like, yeah, this is of course what I want. <laughs> you guys got to be from here. Yeah, no, uh, I think I think the East Coast was always probably the nicest to us. Um, but there's been special moments in every a few people say that it's wild. Um, well, so, it's also like, tight. It's also tight together, you know. Like right. if one show's not that great, I mean, I feel like um, probably like our outside of Indianapolis, because Indianapolis when we were young was, I mean, it was it. It was like that was the best. Like they, it was, it was like our friends, it was our family, it was this crazy scene of people that just were so like we were all so like thirsty for for you know a connection to the outside world and like so getting bands to come into town and uh and and play with us was like that was great um but yeah i think like i don't know i'm trying to think of like the venues like um 138 what is it is it 138 in new jersey or in um, connecticut in connecticut sorry yeah in connecticut like all those places where like i think there's sweet spots for all of the um i mean we've we're so old we've been through a lot of stages so it, it you know, there's sweet spots in all of those. And like the show, the show that we thought was just like an in-between getting from on the moon from getting from Indianapolis to the East Coast in Columbus, Ohio, ended up being like one of our favorites we've played in a long time. Mm. But it's like the people who show up and, and the vibe that happens uh, that, that makes it special, you know, and... Yeah, but I mean, ultimately, it's it, but it is. Curtis is right. I mean, there's the Midwest, but then our, our stronghold is sort of the uh, the East Coast, and you know, New York was always special. Whether we were playing like you know, brownies or um, wetlands or wetlands, but even now, I mean, you know, when we did our reunion stuff, when we played the Bowery Ballroom in uh, 2009, love that. Venue. And then we did it again on the Moon. I think we all kind of decided this is our favorite venue. Like we had, yeah. I think, yeah, the two great. of our. F- most fun nights as a band ever were both at the Bowery Ballroom. Oh, that's, that's probably cool. Yeah. Well, I, uh, yeah, I got a good idea for you if you guys ever want to play Madison Square Garden, you know. Oh, yeah? I, I actually, I just, I, just, I just looked into it, and uh, so it is JD and the Straight Shot is the name of the band, and it's it's a vanity project fronted by James L. Dolan, who's... The, the Dolan. C- the Dolans own the Knicks. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's the CEO of Cablevision and a Madison Square Garden executive chairman, and they have 927 listeners on Spotify, and uh, nice. they, like, opened for... Like, he, like, booked himself to open for the Eagles, and... Sh- um, <laughs> 927? Hear- That's impressive. Uh, can I hear a little bit of a uh, JD I'll play and this, the Hammerhawks? Uh, I'm curious. Yeah, here we here we go. This is their this is their most played song on Spotify with 130 thousand plays, called <sighs> "The Great Divide." The picture is an American flag with a crack down the middle. This ought to be good. Perfect. Sounds kind of like Chamberlain so far. Yeah. No, it sounds like it sounds like Sons of Anarchy. It yeah. does. <laughs> <laughs> 
Riding through this world In the morning <laughs> Again, I get the like... news So hard to know Alright, I'm skipping ahead a little bit Maybe no a little bit of a rock now yeah. yeah. It's Seeger, man It's Seeger It's I've always wanted to know if like having near infinite money could like make you a great musician. Turns out it cannot. It's nice to know. Well, no, the fun thing is you still get the opportunities without actually having to be good at what you do. Man, so it doesn't make enough. you a good musician, but you I get... feel like that's been most of my career. So I love the idea, though, of like it's like it's like a pay to play situation. Like you, you got to sell <laughs> like, tickets to play the show, like uh, super predatory old promoter behavior. Except that you just have a billion dollars and you get to pay to open for the Eagles. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's what the Northeast, uh, you know, music scene is based on. You know, essentially. I mean, if you ever opened up a show, it's not the most fun thing in the world, but you do, I guess, get to. <laughs> walk around backstage but he owns the place so yeah yeah, 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 yeah I was say, wouldn't he wouldn't he get all the benefits without even having to subject himself 100 percent. but then he wouldn't be the rock well no star. he's not true. subjecting himself he's subjecting everyone else and that's uh, where the kink true. comes in i think you know so, it's like you and college radio we're um playing, we're playing next so week true, at actually. madison square gardens <laughs> yeah yeah so it just yeah. happened yeah, yeah. So reach out to JD in the straight shot, and maybe you could pay to open for them to open for the Eagles. Maybe just, maybe just replace Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, With JD. I mean, I'd do it for a tour. Yeah, just <laughs> one. I mean, you know, if he'd play, you know, if he'd if he'd play some of the songs from For the Love or something. Yeah, you know? get, get Pelosi <laughs> on our mind. Do we get to go? <laughs> Less combative about the old oh, material. Man. Yeah. What uh? What's ever, so? What are you guys doing? What are you doing in New York, Adam? Come on! <laughs> I'm coming to New York soon. I want to know what's going on. I've uh, never right. been to Harlem. I've never been that far north in Harlem. Yeah, what's hot in right New York there, right now? <laughs> right there in the background, there's a couch you can sleep on. I'm inviting you now. Oh, thanks, uh, man. Uh-huh. Yeah, there is. I appreciate You're that. You're welcome. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm uh. You know, just Adam's busy playing some I, of the solo shows coming up. I love, can, am I here to promote you, Adam? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing Chatham, New Jersey, on Friday. <laughs> oh shit! Listen, we'll get the plugs yeah. later, okay? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. So, uh, like I said, we're we're stoked to have you guys on, though. This is uh, <laughs> Curtis. Are you <laughs> Curtis? You're doing camera get, tricks with your vodka. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, hey, whatever gets me through. <laughs> that's that's true yeah the slog of a podcast over here uh, let's talk more let's play more uh recordings of bands more and more other bands <laughs> yeah more, uh what yeah uh yeah we're uh so i i guess adam and i are having a dry spell on communication lately because we're both just in our own worlds so this well, is, we're here to repair your relationship yeah this, that's is, the this whole is like therapy for us <laughs> Yeah, if you're, I mean, any, any you guys don't want to work out, you know, we can mediate. I know that I know that you know we the 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 the, the things that we go through to get our to, to get a tour together or to get a record together. Adam probably questions himself every day why he's having to deal with me on those fronts, but here I, we I are. The main, the main takeaway from Chamberlain right now is a lot of self doubt, and I want to. What can we do to boost your? 
you know, well, booster. you got Rubes. Rubes, Rubes is filled with self doubt. You got years of therapy there. You can work on. You can. You guys can set up a side call for that. I but. mean, he sounds like he's killing it right now. You know, yeah. I I have some friends I, in the soundtrack game, and it's 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 good when you can get it. You know. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm lucky. I have like you know five or six directors I work with, and they all we all get along. So they're always they're busy. I I'm not. They are busy, and then I end up like. Riding on their coattails. That's what the happens. best What's way like to do it. What's like the timeline? What's the timeline? They say, "Hey, I have this thing." Do they just give you like a rough cut? And they're like, "You know, how does this make you feel?" Tomorrow, oh, it, it varies. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I, I did it. I did like a whole film in like two and a half weeks once. Um, <laughs> but it, every director works differently. You know, I, I a, a friend of mine that I've done a lot of stuff with. He likes to get samples of stuff like, you know, as he's shooting like months and months out and then a lot of it makes it into the film and we kind of find an identity. Um, but then some people are, I mean, most directors think about, it's the last thing they think about is music right. and it sucks for the post people. Cause, <laughs> oh yeah. Cause then it all falls on you to kind of whip everything together with no real vision ahead of time. Yes. And then kind of hope that that's what they were going for. <laughs> And that's when you find an ambient pad and you lay your, <laughs> you rest your forehead on a few white keys <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you, well, you, you've got a, you've got an underscore. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Well, Curtis, you, you said that you kind of have your own kind of creative agency you put together, right? Also quick, before you answer that, you are bathed in the most beautiful golden hour light right now. It, I was just <laughs> thinking, like, it's, <laughs> it's beaming in me in the eyeball. Do you, have a, it, do you have a pool, Curtis? It is. Uh no, this is the this is natural uh god given oh, light. Oh, it looks like it's in. reflecting off of like a pool and kind of right floating on your face. Right there. It's beautiful. Yeah, um, I've got the I've got the three story walk up glow going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This is every time. It's the time zone. I, I always work the best lighting for the time for all I love of our, it. That's that's planning ahead right there. Yeah. Yeah. But uh I, yeah, I, mean, so, I might not be the most talented one in the room, but I definitely am the most controlling. Well, I mean, you, you just, you know, you're, you have a creative agency. You're creating the vibe right now. You know, you found the best seat in the house to, to, to have it look the best upon, you know, and yeah. that's, that's creative decisions you're making. So yeah, like tell so me more you, about the, uh, the agency you got going on. I just like to woo. I just like to woo the, uh, the interviewer, you know, until, uh, yeah, this is for nobody uh, but us and I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, yeah, no, um. I, I kind of mentioned earlier, Neil. Neil was in a band called uh, two, a couple bands. Um, I uh, they were a little past my time because I'm a little bit older than him. But he was in a band called Fast Break, and I think they were both on Revelation. Fast Break, and in my, my eyes, favorite candy bar, like hard, hardcore bands on on Rev. I love both those bands, by the way. Yeah, and uh, so we kind of you know both came from the same world of like freelancing in between tours and making it work and uh you know we we just kind of rolled with that for the last million years and and it's been good it's been good to well, us what's, um, what's your kind of main main focus in terms of what are what, what's kind of your main client base uh what do you <laughs> this is turning into like an advertisement for our services we provide <laughs> uh we work with like direct uh to like agencies that rep directors and photographers we work with mostly like agencies and and reps all right well i'm a, I'm we a photographer so we'll we'll talk off air later. there you go yeah we worked with <laughs> millions of photographers and then we realized that we can't pay um for raising children with just photographers so we've you know amplified that but 
um yeah it's been great it's been a great trip my wife and i you know she's she kind of runs like a family business of our own like a uh kind of uh design like uh renovations designs and so it's been it's allowed us a lot of freedom with where we live and what we like you no, know, I love now that. we can live outside of a city we don't have to live in the city and uh she's you know a a creative force on our own so it's been nice uh we now get to live up in the in the mountains of southern california and um bounce in and out of cities when we need to I say that that sounds like the dream right there in terms of uh yeah. yeah just that freedom as like a photographer like especially during the pandemic it's like I didn't have that option of working from home <laughs> you know yeah. I uh yeah. you know all of my work has to be done very up close and personal you know and yeah. is this uh, a, did you is this oh, a, a photo of yours in the background or I I'm Oh no no that's a photo of Chad Moore uh okay. but I, yeah. I wish it was no, I love I Chad Moore's I work but uh yeah, yeah. No. So well, you mentioned fast break, which m- brings me. Uh, I had to confirm there is a fast break song uh, that was on the in-flight music comp that Rev put out called mm-hmm. "Music Is My Girlfriend." Oh, um, I just <laughs> I thought I remembered that, and I just wanted to make sure it was yeah, on the no. fast break album. Whenever you're ready, I think "Music Is My Girlfriend" is a lyric. Uh, yeah, and I don't, I'm again, trying to think what it's from. Well, it's either from them or is it from Piebald? No, or it is. It's, yeah. Music is my girlfriend's song and lyrics by Fastbreak. Oh, Fastbreak. Yeah, so it's Fastbreak. Yeah. Sorry. We, uh, I met everyone at the same time and Piebald was part of that mix. And oh. so, um, I just Googled music is my girlfriend and the first, uh, that's, the first result is the CSS song music is my hot, hot sex by CSS. Oh, well, mm-hmm. Okay. And you know, who I mean, can argue with that? I might like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i said i don't know i don't know uh i don't know a lot about that world i just know that we kind of you know we hooked up early on because of our touring history and we have similar friends and uh he kept me young yeah I, you know that's a really good point um for anybody who who uh, i don't know if you're listening to this and don't and don't know what chamberlain sounds like but like your contemporary sounded nothing like your band right like was that difficult booking shows was it was everybody just stoked on it and wanted to tour together like um it was difficult i i would say that um i mean it depends on what 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 era what era you're talking about but i'd say by the time we got our like got our vibe together in the mid to late 90s we were like it was definitely hard. It was, uh, um, cause, uh, as a kid from hardcore and one that felt like I identified with indie and hardcore the most, um, as far as music goes and as far as relationships go and, uh, how to network and all that stuff. I think it was definitely hard to take a step forward, but much, uh, for the reason we're here talking about, or eventually <laughs> talking about, eventually uh, re- talking about records um i don't know i kind of was always uh i was young uh when i got a hold of punk rock music and so i kind of always got the um that like second or third record from every band that came out that everyone was like oh fuck that record like how 
no, dude, it's all about the first record. And <laughs> I was always the one listening to Seven Seconds Ourselves or I was, you know, like I, I always loved those like later era, not later because those bands went on, like a lot of those bands went on to make even more records, but you know, the second and third record that was like a little uncomfortable, but definitely more melodic. And I, I, every time I look back at these records, like Wig Out of Denko's, I think, well, no, yeah, this is what we, this is what we cut our teeth on. This is what we, what we loved growing up was the praise in ourselves and the, uh, you know, the Wig Out of Denko's. I mean, can I say all, all of those records were like very melodic and finally opened up a door that we were like, okay. Yeah. You know, like I, I grew up on hardcore. But the second I heard like a vocal melody that hit, I was like, fuck, that's it. Like, awesome. Like, how, how do we make that happen? Yeah, to, to piggyback on what Curtis is saying, it's like, I think we, you know, we would see another band, like we would play a show with like Into Another, and we would just be like, oh, another unicorn <laughs> band in our scene that doesn't belong. <laughs> you don't belong either. Like, let's hang out. Um, or, you know. Sensefield were almost like kind of like a aspiring uh, like rock and roll band. Yeah. Um, there, there were certain bands that like we, yeah, um, heard and that just didn't, you know, as much as again we cut our teeth on hardcore. Like you know, we loved you know Burn and Gorilla, Gorilla Biscuits and Youth Is Today and and everything hardcore. But um, yeah, when we would heard bands that were melodic that didn't feel like they fit in the scene, we we kind of like. Um, turned our attention to those bands and almost like tried to emulate them. Like, you know, well, it was inspiring. It was, it was yeah. like, it wasn't the things that we were like, that we, we didn't want to stay in the same place. You know, right. we were kids in Indiana, like we were kids in Indiana, but we were playing like these hardcore shows, but we were like, we always wanted to be pushing it. We always wanted to be trying something new. We, we all, we all came from such different places, even though we were fans of like, there was a through line of like certain records that, that hit for us. Right. There was, you know, there was the first quicksand seven inch. There was, there was these moments of like, wow, we all kind of met there like into another, or I don't know any of these, like that were like shutter to think, uh, like all these kind of weirder outside of the, the realm of what was so comfortable in this like hardcore world. And we were always, we always met there and we were like, this is it. This is like what we're trying to do, but God, it was so inspiring to like see people. And some of those people probably were like, man, we took a wrong turn, but we loved it. Like, we, <laughs> well, you know, you know like, it's actually a, a, a good transition like into the Dag Nasty record. But I guess, was there a band that you guys heard that were like Americana influenced or, mm -hmm. you know, however you want to word it, was there, was there something that was like the spark for that change? Uh, I think it was a lot of things. I mean, I think being in Bloomington, um, you know, we recorded the Moomai Saddle at, uh, you know, John Mellencamp's guitar player studio. Right. We definitely got, you know, enamored with this sort <laughs> of like, you know. Yeah, like anybody we could get a hold of that worked on Mellencamp, we were like, yep, yeah, yep, bring him in. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> we, we love Mellencamp, but um, I think it was like a, it's also a college thing, you know, you, you listen, you start discovering other um, records that are sort of like uh, tangential to what, to what you're interested in um you know i was taking like a history of rock and roll class at, at bloomington and i was like you know there's like springsteen and like petty and tom Waits songs that i'd never heard before neil young like um 
I'm like, man, these are these guys were actually punk rock. Like when you think about it, they were punk rock in uh, the early '70s. Um, you know, David uh, had always been really big into Dylan, and you know, some of us got into the band. But then also there was the college rock stuff coming out yeah, too. Yeah, I was you know, big Archers into that. and Super Chunk and like um, every song we played, if it sounded like to some to most people, it probably sounded like um, you know, like the Moon My Saddle. It the, it sounded like Bruce Springsteen or whatever it sounded like right. to the people listening to it. To me, playing it, or to Chuck, like I've talked to Chuck about this a lot, our drummer, we were playing individual parts. Like they were the bands that we were huge fans of. Arches of Loaf, Super Chunk. Like there's, there's a part in Drums and Shotguns that is like, right now I'm in Drive Like Jehu. Like mm. I'm in this, <laughs> this part right now, specifically, just, just as Bridge, I'm in Drive Like Jehu. But the 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 outcome of the whole thing obviously sounds like five people doing like wildly different things and, mm-hmm. and being influenced and putting out a record uh it, while we're in our 20s well that that's fates but yeah but same, just, we're still all uh, in college yeah right yeah but that that's where like i mean i think the college rock part of the things like are you know rem's a great example of that world where they kind of cross genres and um where I think we could all agree on certain paths, much like we did in hardcore. But like, um, I think in, in with the moon, we all got kind of enamored with like, well, like, look, this is this is like 1998. Like, all of these bands are doing these things, making a living, doing what they're doing, and like, wouldn't that be great mm-hmm. if this thing we put nine years into would be our living? It would be like official. So like, you know, I think that got that kind of crossed over into that world of rock you know more rock americana worlds i think the first the the earliest influence in like the americana thing that we were into was probably like wilco or something right i mean i feel like wilco is sort of like i mean especially at that time you know they weren't far very far in their catalog and it was still right you know they were still sort of like the post uncle tupelo band right yeah i mean so it's just to be like honest, and also they were to be Chicago honest, that was too. like that was like right. two of us that and that's not them. far that's how many like two hours from bloomington three uh, like three but uh, but yeah. also like you know i always say like wilco i mean they were in you know chicago where like um uh you know whatever like tortoise trans am like all these other mm-hmm. chicago bands we love were going around and they they obviously knew those bands so like i consider wilco totally punk tangential sure yeah. Um, especially those early records. Yeah, and there was Sunvolt, and there was like, there was there was definitely a, a sort of sweet spot of college rock that um I don't want to say we were trying to emulate, but um but well, we aspired to be part of that scene. We right? we did. Yeah, I honestly think that that was the straw that broke the camel's back was the break of like uh with the original members of the band and what I thought was cool, which is what we're talking about now, which is like these types of bands that are like adjacent to our world um super chunk and melodic bands that were doing it but doing it in a way that wasn't you know it wasn't trying to be top 40 radio it was sure it was like it was college rock and that was definitely the i think that was where we kind of split off was like i'd rather be doing the wallflowers and i was like i'd rather be playing in you know super chunk or or right. arches loaf or whatever um, I think that's kind of where the initial split kind of happened there with the, right. With- yeah, I guess I I asked that because about like a direct influence because 
you know, Brian Baker, when he talked about doing dag nasty, like points directly to that faith, uh, subject to change 12 inch. And like, you know, if you listen to that 12 inch, it's, it's, you know, it's the same band. It's almost like listening to that cave in Jupiter record and then listening to failure and being like, Oh, okay. This is exactly where it came from. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Right. Well, all, all things that you can, you can, you, you have the liberty of understanding that now. Yeah, absolutely. But in the time it's all out the window, you know, like yeah. who knows. So, so when did, when did you guys first hear, uh, Dag Nasty? Uh, well, we were, Adam and I were talking about that. I think Adam's much, uh, well, were you about to say Adam's we, much older than me or no, I was about to say Adam's much younger than me, uh, right. uh, but he was much younger than me when I met him, uh, which was a, a year and a half to two years younger than me. <laughs> yeah. Just so you know, Curtis, like when I met Curtis, he was like a junior high school bully that used to like steal my, <laughs> steal all the, uh, treats out of my, my sack lunch. Did you get him back eventually? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. He got me back. He wrote me through being in Chamberlain. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, come on, one more record. Um, <laughs> well, no, I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How did you guys both agree on the single record? Because that, that was kind of the point of contention a little bit when we first started trying to wrangle you to come on. It's choosing a record that you both yeah. agreed with. Well, I, I, I think we both agree. And Adam, you can, you can disagree. But um, I think... With Dagnasty in general, Dagnasty, it's it's no accident that uh, that it's the bass player and the guitar player talking about this record that is very, mm-hmm. you know, based around the musicianship mm-hmm. and and not the not necessarily like the lead vocalist. Mm-hmm. It's like I I would say my myself that this record that Wig Out Dinkos is not my favorite record of Dagnasty. It's just the more interesting to kind of discuss in this kind of setting. I think Can I Say was, uh, when I heard that, I was just like, you know, we covered uh, Under Under Your Influence for years after Mm -hmm. this, uh, after Mm -hmm. Can I Say came out. But I think that Brian Baker, obviously, and like the, the, the musicianship throughout their career was just like so interesting and so... And now you get to listen back to, and of course we've been listening back this week and like you listen to it and you hear so many different things now. Like I hear so much more skate rock than I ever realized. Uh, wasn't oh, yeah. it? For sure. Um, before, you know, like, I don't know, uh, McRad and, and agent orange and all, mm-hmm. all that, like early skate rock stuff. Um, but I think with Wig and, and Adam can talk more to the guitar playing because it was, that's like, there was no music going on like that. Like Mm-mm. with with the riffs that are going on in a Dagnasty song, and then a vocal melody going over the top of it that also could kind of combine and still be hardcore. It was just like another one of those records that we were like, "Oh shit, <laughs> okay, <laughs> look, we this is what we can aspire to." Yeah, I mean, it, I think that. Oh, go on. Oh, I was just saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Dagnasty is one of those bands too. Like, obviously, they had you know, a huge change with like, um, you know, Dave not being in the band and Peter taking over as, as a vocalist. So there's a, you know, and then I think two different bass players too. I think Doug Carrion joined in, uh, wig out. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a total historian. Well, this was like sort of a, a reunion record. Like, didn't they sort of break up or like go on hiatus after, can I say, 
No, and like, it's all pretty tight. I mean, all it? the stuff is like real, like it's crazy listening back to like the history of them. And like, can I say I have, I have the, the flaming head tattooed on my body. Like I was like that. I was very into that record. And I, to listen back to like end on end talking about like how Dave Smalley was in the band for, I think six months or something like something very <laughs> small, but like, that's a huge impression on my childhood and my adulthood. Like, but he was literally doing this. It was like almost a studio set, you know, like a studio session. I mean, they went on tour, they recorded a record that was already written, you know, like most of the songs on can I say were already written and he just came in, nailed them. And, and that was like, that was this thing imprinted in time. And it, but as a kid from the Midwest hearing, so you kind of asked, you asked like the first time I heard them, I couldn't tell you the first time I heard them, but it was definitely in the can I say era. And I'm like I said, a little bit older, but I also was like the youngest one in, in our crew of like mm-hmm. going to shows and stuff. My mom was very, very liberal with letting me go to shows at an early age. I was 13 and 14 getting dropped off at like terrible venues and stuff like that. But she took, she took me and the original singer split lip and my girlfriend drove us an hour and a half to Lafayette, Indiana to see them in 1988, which was even in 88. I looked it up and I was like, oh shit, that was the field day tour. But they wow. put out Wig Out at Denko's in 88. Mm. So they were already on field day tour. Right. And they were playing it- a ton of Can I Say. They were playing all of Can I Say. I, my, my shirt that I got from that was the Can I Say shirt. They were still selling the merch from, you know, like the tour prior to that. So like, it's all like, and that's kind of how all that Discord stuff was. It was such a frenzy of like, yeah, like very much of like of a very people. specific moment that like people were just doing stuff at a breakneck pace, like they were gonna break up tomorrow. And God, a lot of them I love did. It. They, I, yeah. it was just like such God. a lightning in a bottle of just like I need to get this record out of my head. Another totally. one, another one, and then we're done. And it's like how inspirational, like. God, we kicked that dead horse way too long. I look at that and I'm like, damn, yeah. that's well, what we should have well, done. But that- I know, but I, I just want to say something about those, about why I love Wig Out so much is that it reminds me of, like, when you're young, uh, uh, when you're in college or in high school, whatever, like, a, a year seems like um, nine years. Yeah. Like, it seems oh, yeah. like so much time. And, you know, we put out uh, 95, 96, depending on which version of Fates you like. And then 98, we did Move My Saddle, but still only a couple, two and a half years separating two records to sound completely different mm-hmm. um but that's what's so amazing about being young i mean can i say is this like fist pumping um anth- anthem after anthem mm-hmm. after anthem uh melodic punk record and then like wig out is just i mean it opens with this introspective you know song you know the godfather like i was only five I heard a little t-. And it's, it's, it's in a minor key yeah and there's all these like little glam rock riffs it's like it's a song about a train <laughs> yeah it's like what happened in that year like that's crazy and that's why i re- i respect brian and you know the band for just like making that you know creative leap and i feel like they I'm not saying they mirror Chamberlain, but in, in some ways, because we've our records are so different from each other, mm-hmm. um, they mirror us in that way. Yeah, so, anyway. I think that's. I think that's where I think any of those records that are like this leap of, this is just what we want to put out, and you know, like if it's, if it's, if it's popular or if it's, if it works with the crowd we were in, cool. 
and that was like inspirational to us well for sure yeah we've there's two things i wanted to touch on that we've talked about previously on this podcast that's come up multiple times it's like number one is that idea of you have like your whole life to write your first record and so a lot of that stuff is like stuff that was written at a time that you know when it finally comes out you might not be feeling that same way or you have a different amount of life experiences or a different amount of influences and that's why so many people's sophomore records are either like they only have like half the heart or soul that the first one had you know or it's a very big change up in style but the other thing I wanted to touch on is the fact that people putting stuff out, at least in a physical sense, that has taken so much longer as of the last, you know, five years to the, the last decade in terms of like, you can't just put out a seven inch, like the, the supply chain is so long and the, the, the lack of record pressing plants and the ones that still are around are so overloaded that like, you know, bands are just putting out records now that they wrote three years ago and recorded two years ago, and it's yeah. finally coming out on vinyl now that they can finally play or tour them. That, like, you know, in a especially when you're young, two years you're a totally different person. You know, and uh, that's why I think like this yeah. era of stuff. It's like that idea of it. Yeah, like one year feels like nine, and and that just well, I'm we, really we curious definitely- with like current bands who like how you handle that album cycle because it's the timeline has been stretched so long yeah i mean i think that we're the wrong band to ask about that because our timeline was always long <laughs> well well yeah but it's <laughs> but, you know you, you know what i'm saying in terms of just how yeah how that like energy of this era like it can't be matched in like ways that are actually even physically beyond the person itself you know you're getting very metaphysical with your. Uh... <laughs> but that's like, like logistics is like the stuff I think about, you know. Yeah, and... no, I, I think that I think that the um, you know, it, it kind of goes back to like when you hear like when a when a piece of art is done or a movie's done that takes forever to make and yeah, like yeah. you always hear about the creators of those things. They're like, I didn't, I don't, I can't watch that. Like I'm yeah. on to the next thing. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. And that, that's that's literally, I think for the most part what happens with these records and that's why you know people getting hung up on things in our past of like they remix the vocals and re-release the it's like i don't okay whatever we're on to the next thing like we're like literally it takes us forever to write a record and we're on that next path and um i i think that you know there's just something that you can't look back on that stuff and you can't second guess it and um i i think that the time frame is tough it was tough for us for sure back in back then i mean like the label fucked up things leaving songs off records and you know like it was it was just a mess like everything was a mess but it was kind of a chaotic beautiful mess yeah like well that that's something i've always come from like definitely a lot of that diy punk sensibility has crossed over into my career especially Mm -hmm. in terms of immediacy and just if i want something done I get it done and it I'll do it myself, you know, and, and that's something I do a lot of self-published photo zines all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something like I design it, I self-publish it. If I make my money back, cool. If I break even awesome, if not, it's something I want to exist in the world. And, um, 
a couple years ago, I dated a woman who worked in the actual, like, she was a book designer. She worked for a book publisher. And, you know, she'd be working on stuff that the timeline was, like, the release date was three years from now. And it's, like, I can't imagine being in that, like, such a long timeline that has to go through so many different, you know, levels of, of bureaucracy, essentially. Even in a creative field, it's still, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, Curtis, you might, you know, working on campaigns and stuff, like, there's such a timeline to this stuff that sometimes drags on for a long time. Like, how do you, yeah. how do you kind of deal with that aspect of like, you know, being really hyped on a project, but then it kind of dragging on a little bit. What does the, does I mean, it excitement the excitement kind of wane the a little bit? Of it, yeah. The hardest part of any trade is that 10, the last 10%. I mean, yeah. if you, yeah. if you can't, if you can't take it, that that's the people who put out, the material, the ones that can handle that last 10% or they can find the people that do it. Like, I mean, that, that can, that can amp up that last leg of the, the experience. I think that a lot of people, a lot of creative, brilliant people we've never heard of because they can't take it past that 10, that last 10% is the hardest part. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, I don't know that there's any science to that. I think it's just, it's just the matter of like, you know, getting to a good place in your life where you feel like it, it's not, you know, this isn't the end of the world if you do it one way or it's, you know, uh, and being okay with walking away from something like, and it yeah. kind of goes back to like the, the newest record we did with red weather. It was like, I'm okay if we walk away from this. I, I, I mean, it's, it is what it is. And then, and, and thankfully it didn't end up that way. And we all felt really good about it and it's cool. It's like, uh, it was a lot of fun, and I think, I I I think that that's, I think that last ten percent is probably the hardest for anybody. Yeah, um, no, that's that's a really interesting. And that's way why to people put get it. managers, and that's why people get yeah. you know that, that, that they are the ten percent people that take it over yeah. the line. Usually, is is yeah, like yeah. some third party that gives that that breathes that life into that. Like, okay, I get it. I see your vision. I'm gonna I'm gonna and. Maybe Carl was that with this last record or, you know. Well, that's that's actually really interesting because uh, I, I do think about that stuff a lot as well. Is like, especially people who are like so talented, but don't have the connections to get their stuff out into the public or people who don't even know where to begin or people who even have no interest in the public scene. They just have a compulsion to make art, you know, and that's something I mean, in photography specifically, uh, like Vivian Meyer. Uh, that female photographer who like just yeah. died, and one of her relatives, you know, found her, you know, archive of work that was just incredible. And now she has this, you know, posthumous career, but she's like, you know, labeled as like one of the like you know super influential like modern, well, semi modern day like Deanne Arbus, you know, and uh, well, even like Gary Winogrand died with two thousand or something rolls of unprocessed film because he had this compulsion to go out and shoot every day. Or even like Henry Darger, the painter, who you know was like yeah. a a janitor, who you know when the people cleaned up is kind of like Hobbit, like you know agoraphobic space. That just this incredible amount of like lore and stories and paintings and uh, you know it's just people are compelled to make this art and then don't have like a you, resource to release it. I know this isn't the point you're trying to make, but you're really going to paint Henry Darger as a painter. And not a writer. <laughs> You're gonna paint him. I mean, his his paintings are in the MoMA. His writings aren't. 
Yeah, he, yeah, il- he illustrated he his wrote, books. He wrote a fifteen thousand page book, yeah, which like no one will ever his... read in completion. But people will look at the paintings that go along with it. You know, so all of those, you know, all of these, these, these things that you're talking about are, um, they're they came from you know people that were maybe even silently brilliant while they were living. And everybody's cursed with this self-doubt and this imposter syndrome and God, no, you know, like what, what we're doing doesn't matter. And, and all of those things are cursing your life. And so, yeah, for, to have that, have like a person find things later in life and be like, oh, these are actually interesting. You know, Jeff Buckley was a huge influence on all of us. That's probably one of those like kind of, you know, artists that we all could just, you know, like there's sudden focus on these artists going through our time frame that we mm. could all agree on and be like, fuck, this is like brilliant. Um, and like, you know, that last record, uh, is my sweetheart, the drunk. Um, he, those are, those are songs that he wasn't ready for He mm. or he didn't agree on. And Elliot Smith, same thing. Like there's yeah, all this say, stuff post death. Like, you get out of your own way and other people, it, it, it kind of goes back to like, just put it out there and let people do with it what they're going to do with it, whether they're right. going to fall in love with it or not. And that's hard to do, you know, as a, as a living artist, it's very easy for someone else to pick it up later and be like, look at how brilliant these things were. Yeah, they, it was, it was, and, it was wild. Oh, sorry, Adam, go ahead. Oh no, it doesn't matter. I was saying, I, I think about that all the time. Like I think Curtis and I, and you guys probably too, like know those people in your lives that like, maybe had a talent or like we're, we're very good at you know writing songs or i mean curtis and i certainly know a lot of these people that just could never get it together and never get it out and mm-hmm. like you know i've put out my own solo records because i have that voice in my head all the time it's like don't be this guy or that guy or like don't let it go like what's what's the point of doing all this if you're not gonna um you know let the bird out there and let it fly right <laughs> yeah um but yeah i think it takes a certain personality and um it's so much easier to do with a band because you have the sort of you know um collective responsibility and um uh you know the bad reviews are on all of you yeah i can't <laughs> imagine um putting out a solo record like i don't think i'm built for that kind of anxiety there's just no oh it's way. a waste of time but yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely you know, you know I, when we when you were talking about like posthumous works and everything i don't know if you guys listened i mean being from bloomington i would assume you did but that uh that uh jason molina record that came out what was that like two years ago mm-hmm. um yeah and like pitchfork trashed it and i was like oh my fuck like are you serious you don't have any respect yeah i think that i mean they're uh, it's like clickbait at this point like oh right. watch us trash this thing and so you're going to click on the story but you know i mean everybody has their opinion and everybody deserves to have that opinion i guess but um and you know i guess if a record's put out uh you know after someone dies and it's not that good and you think that it's not that good, then say it. But, uh, I mean that whole mid, that whole Midwest thing was definitely just kind of on the cusp of after our time. And it was, mm-hmm. it's, it's awesome. Like secretly Canadian, like it was bubbling while we were there and like, man, what they've done with it since then is just like inspiring. Like, yeah. And it, like those guys are friends of mine now. 
Yeah. And we were like at shows together at Second Story, and we we weren't we weren't friends. Like it's just bizarre. Like how much uh, I think about it all the time. Bloomington, there was like something in the water because hundred oh, um, percent. There's uh you know we have friends that are like amazing booking agents. Um, you know the Secretly guys, like you know Carl who produced our record. Um, like there's there's a uh, um, yeah. Us no, um, but there's there was a a lot of um, there's just like a lot of amazing people um, that were we're all in Bloomington at the same time and um, doing different things and I so I so and again like to to piggyback more Curtis is saying like yeah I've respect for those guys and I wish I was part of it when it was happening but we were always so insular in our world you know yeah. we just didn't know I think about that it. hardcore I, I think that's the downside to hardcore and I think that later i mean being from indiana uh we were forced to have different influences we were we were like you know there was metal there was red hot chili peppers there was you know there was uh it, like there's all these things that we were just like ingesting from anywhere we could get it and it was pre-internet and it was like cool like i want to listen to all the fugazi and I want to listen to all this stuff. I want to take it in. And so our band was reflecting all of that, but the circuit we were in, I think hardcore in general was very insular to where like when we played shows in Indy, it was kind of like, or Bloomington. And it was kind of like, we kind of kept our lane in that like this, Oh, we're this like, yes, we're going to play with these bands. And then it turns out like they're fucking brilliant people and they're like doing really cool shit. And I think that, you know, raising kids now, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's nice to have your foot in something and to feel that you belong in something as like special as hardcore is and was. But I do think that it, it hindered me reaching out a little bit in times. Do you, are you guys familiar with Mike Adams, uh, or, uh, XRA records from Bloomington? I don't, I'm not, I'm not Adam. Uh. I know. Is it probably a newer thing if we're not familiar uh, with it? I want to say probably 2008, 2009. Yeah. Yeah. They were doing a, they were doing like, I was on my second, you know, uh, colostomy. Sorry. (laughs) I don't know. Jesus Christ. Can you have two of those? (laughs) I don't know. He's collecting them. Um, Anyway, but it was just, it was a, you know, XRA was a really weird label that did, you know, all their friends' records and all their friends were insanely talented. Um, and I just feel like that's Bloomington has so many different bands just because, you know, there's a lot of influence in, in the Midwest. Well, I think we're, you know, and I, I don't think Bloomington was, uh, you know, I do think that it's like the, 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 probably the location of it is, is probably key to that. It is very Mm. central within a few different States and everybody kind of met there. So Mm. there was this Mecca of like, alternative people or people into you know like people into subcultures kind of you know it was a good school it was a good town to be in right because it's the main thing there is just the school right i mean the school is the yeah i mean like the focal point is the focal point i mean they have a great music school they have like it it drew a lot of people into that town but Mm. that that wasn't specific to indiana i mean north carolina like chapel hill was the same kind of you know like they had a hotbed DC had the hotbed, you know, like all these mm-hmm. places had like 
their moment, sometimes some longer than others. <laughs> but like they had that moment of like flair of like, wow, that was that's yeah. really cool. It, it is really interesting how college towns, uh, especially like liberal college towns, like do have that effect on, you know, like a good example. I went to school in Western Massachusetts and, you know, you got Hampshire College, you have you know, UMass Amherst, you got Smith College of Art. Uh, and you know, the amount of creative weirdos that came out of that area too, you know, is, is, is just wild. And, uh, it's really cool how that, like the college stuff, it makes sense when you actually break it down, but it's like, yeah, you have like people at kind of the peak of their adolescent creativity, all, you know, combining this culture together yeah at the same I think time less, you know i think at that age too there's less judgment on everything there's less yeah. like yeah. you get you have this liberty of like we're fucking weird and we're, oh, we're gonna yeah. try to be weird and we're and, gonna try and, to you know a lot of people you're out of your parents out of. house for the first time you have you know you don't have that yeah. kind of weird social construct you know kind of keeping yeah, you down I mean, to be honest like that was the most special i think uh, for the the time period between Fate's got a driver on the moon, my saddle. We kind of all agree was like this special moment that we didn't, you know, we didn't capitalize on by putting a record out. We did some singles and we, we recorded, but like it was definitely the special hotspot moment where yeah. we're like, man, if we would have put out a record, like if we would have put out full length right then, that's this kind of like, it was definitely special. And it was, and you're probably right. It's like, we're finally kind of, this is like full time. This is like, we're, we're here. We're in a room together as many hours a day as we want to be. Yep. And we're, we're going to be as weird as we want to be. We're going to listen to the records that, you know, we're going to try to emulate records that nobody's expecting us to emulate whatever. And I think it was a real cool time period for our lives, but it's probably that yeah. it's probably that for people that don't write music too, you know, like mm-hmm. I mean, we, in general. we definitely got out of our click. I mean, when we did the, even when we did like the Fate's Got a Driver like release show, I always thought it was the coolest thing that we had like, um, we teamed up with like, was it Antenna or Velo Deluxe? It was Antenna. I think it was uh, Antenna. Yeah. Antenna, which is another, John Strom was in the Lemonheads and mm-hmm. Blake Babies and stuff. And it was like, man, like it was so cool that we did a show with them and not just like some other punk or hardcore band. Um, but that, you know. We always did have our click, and I'm so social now that it just—it seems unreal that it was like that. <laughs> you know, like I, I talk to any band we play with, I'm I'm like excited to talk to them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what Kurtz is saying, there was this sweet spot where we kind of let our guard down, and we're like, oh, there's cool stuff happening around us. There's you know other cool bands, as US Three or Mysteries of Life or other like things happening in Bloomington, and um, we should pay attention to to all of it and be part of it um but yeah it never really happened yeah it's uh, <laughs> i mean how do you know in the moment yeah, you know what i mean you i feel like there's there's just clarity you know 20 years removed yeah yeah i mean uh, yeah. uh oh, wait. all things back to tim kinsella for just half a second you know just even thinking about that <laughs> no like, i mean just thinking about that cap and jazz record you know so much stuff has been influenced by that but like where the fuck were they pulling from when they wrote that record as like 15, 16, 17 year old kids? Like, yeah. what the fuck were I mean, they that listening was, to that, that made that sound? It, it, you know, it, it's, 
it's bizarre. To be you know? honest, back then it was like, because we were like, that was, you know, Captain Jazz was playing the sitcom, the original singer of Split Lips Club there. And it, it was like, when you watch them then, it, it, made, <laughs> it made some kind of sense, at least being in the scene that you were in. Mm-hmm. Um, it was wild. It was cool. And it was fun in a way that other bands maybe were kind of not that. But it all kind of made sense at the time. Okay. You're like, yeah, that, oh, cool, that makes like sense out in of tune of... guitars and like broken, uh, uh, broken horns and, and, and that it was like this aggression of just like post anything you've done. Yeah. And what the fuck's out there? Yeah. Like it was the, oh, it was the entryway of like, cool, what can we do with this? Yeah. And I think that was cool. I mean, that was, that was fun. And I think, a lot of that world was in me and i think that that was you know in chamberlain i i feel like the later it went on in the 90s was that was kind of my out for it i was like ah i don't like i said well i I could only sit around and pretend i'm in another band and parts for so long (laughs) yeah yeah well i want the loop back eventually there was not enough parts yeah (laughs) (laughs) i want the i want the loop back to uh to the dag nasty record um oh yeah (laughs) No, right. <laughs> you know, it, it's it. This isn't a band I I always knew of, but never really got into. I mean, admittedly, this is still not really the music I'm into personally. You were a, a much bigger Swizz fan. <laughs> I was, oh. I, yeah, I, I'm not a big Swizz fan either. I mean, okay. uh, Weekend at Denko's came out in '87, correct? I think Wig Out. Weekend Wig at out, Bernie's yeah. came out also in '87. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, yeah, I was born in 1987, so yeah. Well, it's. It was, yeah, it was uh, 87, 88, and yeah, it was 87 because I did see that. Weekend of Bernie's came out in 1989, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was old enough chat. for that. I'm doing your guys' job now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was old enough for that. Yeah. But yeah, no, like this, when I first listened to it, I, I actually enjoyed it um, quite a bit. So just put that out there before I say anything else uh, that comes off as critical. <laughs> but, you know, it's not really what I expected. I actually really enjoyed kind of the, how the vocals sounded. You know, more in the melodic realm of of the side of this era of Discord, you know, and uh, but I always knew of Dag Nasty because I think as a kid I googled what Travis Barker's tattoo was about. Oh yeah, because he has "Can I Say" like right as a collar rocker, and I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? And uh, I remember Google. I was on the other side of that. I was like, who is this asshole? Wait, you put a Dag Nasty tattoo. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But that's, uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I found it. But like the best thing I could think of in terms of like, what does this remind me of? And it reminded me of like getting the old Epitaph, like Punkorama records, you know, where there were definitely bands on those, on those comps, uh, if not Dag Nasty directly, like bands directly influenced by Dag Nasty, you know? Yeah. And we talked about this on a previous episode about, the bouncing souls it's like i feel like there aren't bands that sound like this now like this is like an era of punk that kind of has fallen away in the sense that like bands don't sound directly influenced by this any longer right but that's just because so i was i was thinking about um when all the like straight edge kids in my high school in my like local scene found out about dag nasty 
and like overnight everybody's band styles changed yeah um like for the better for definitely for the much more cooler town than we did that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. i don't think that's true but uh it just kind of you know i um i think about every generation um influences the next right sure and so you know you can draw a very clear line here you know you can you can draw a line from dag nasty to sense field uh to jimmy world to you know what i mean just like oh, straight through a hundred percent but i i mean it's and and you know it's very easy to draw those lines now yeah and, and, absolutely and, and they're probably not totally accurate i do that with sure. like people that i describe our band to i'll be like Hmm, let me work backwards. Have you heard All American Rejects? <laughs> and then I work backwards from there. It's sort of like and, that. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, well then there's the Get Up Kids that signed to our label, and they and we were in the band. Uh, la, 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 la. There's this through line of all that stuff, and I think that without Dag Nasty, I don't know. I don't, I mean, it's it's hard to say, but I don't think there'd be lag wagon. I don't think there'd be face to face. I don't oh, yeah, think yeah. there'd be. And all of the bands that were influenced by those bands, I you know, there's a it's a deck of cards there that mm-hmm. sure I don't know that Dagnasty was the the one holding that linchpin there, but it was it was certainly in that realm. And listening back now as an adult raising children, and I'm like, wow! Like I said earlier, I was like, man, this is like it's totally skate punk. Like, and mm-hmm. I didn't get that then. Then I then I was I was seeing it as like I was listening to Quicksand and I was listening to I guess like Youth of Today and Burn and all that stuff and then which is which was also all of those bands uh, well later Youth of Today were doing something a little bit disruptive to the scene that they were coming from but so even the ones that weren't I, I was coming from that world and then to hear this stuff with like intricate guitar work melodies and bridges and choruses and but still kind of screaming but but i guess wig out was the first that i was like oh wow there this is here it is it's like it's this melodic you know plate but like it still had this uncomfortable thing to it which i feel like is what's important to all of this stuff is like it's not directly you know now I could listen to it and go, of course, Brian Baker went to do what he did. Like, of course, right. of course he went to like doing like glammy, more rock stuff for a while. And like, cause here it is, it's, it's, it's in here. This is the DNA of what he was doing. It's like mm-hmm. all the clues are there, but. Well, well, well that's what I was going to say too. It's like, um, I also came to Dag Nasty later cause I probably didn't get into punk till the early nineties. Basically when I joined Split Lip is when I got into punk. Adam was a shredder. He was like an Exodus, <laughs> like like creator well, I love thrash metal yeah yeah. Hell yeah um you know i grew up in europe and i love thrash metal but i mean to answer your question why didn't all these other bands start doing dag nasty after we got it it's like they didn't have brian baker i mean right you know um trying which is the second track on that record it's like they're 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 really those little false harmonics and yeah. like uh, arpeggiation and stuff like i don't think many guitar players in our scene had those kind of chops to even no no try yeah, to there's do that. there's not many people who can like staccato half the chord while going through you know what i mean like i, I yeah. completely get that and i also be, love the fair, fact that this oh sorry go ahead. well to be fair 
good luck trying to sing over that stuff. Like God, yeah, it's, it's a blessing yeah. that they got the melodies. And I'm sure Brian Becker had a lot to do with that side of it. Mm-hmm. But like <laughs> to to write a vocal melody over that, if you brought that to David over the acoustic song over right. when I move, try that's to write. the most that's <laughs> yeah. the most fucking bizarre song I've ever heard in my uh-huh. life. It's like, and it's not even it's not skippable because every every time I hear it, it's like the first time I've ever heard it. Like. Yeah. How that's not a guitar chord. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, I think the acoustic track. We we certainly took cue from that. We did uh, every every record we could. We'd do an acoustic track on it. But mm. I think that the sequencing is uh, very LP to digital. Like, you listen to it now, mm. and you're like, "Why is this here? Why is this the fourth right. or fifth song or whatever it is in the in the sequence?" Because side B, and yeah. you're like, "Oh, it's it's the end of side A, right? Going into B, but like it does not make sense on digital." <laughs> but I was thinking about listening to it. It's like and maybe this is like a subconscious like Brian thing where he was just like, "Bum boom, the word tritone, whatever." Uh-huh. Uh, um, uh, uh, interval or that happens there. It just doesn't. It's so painful to listen to. Yeah, because it's <laughs> um, like it sounds like it's an inverted chord, but with the low notes, like a wrong note. Like he's playing an open tuning with like something not right. Yeah, exactly. And and it's like, um, but maybe it's him subconsciously saying like, you know, I want to be in junkyard. Like I, I want to be in like a glam metal band. Right. And like. F- fuck discord like fuck this dc punk rock shit like <laughs> I, you're gonna hate this and it's my way out you know like right. part of me feels like maybe that was um subconsciously what oh they yeah were i mean the, the guitar sound every i mean i think i think you're not wrong there i think that and god think how hard think how judgmental that scene must have been you think our scene was judgment like think how like trying to think outside of the box whether it's the right thing like whether it's like a noble cause you're thinking outside of the box for or not think of how right. hard that yeah. probably was but they the also weren't like alone you know what i mean they were existing at the tail end of uh husker do and oh, like yeah. that's not so the, like not completely similar but i think you can listen to some of the some of the guitar work on like uh zen arcade or candy apple gray or something and like see that progression right yeah, I think I I mean I was a part of this kind of looking back at the the year it came out and the year before mm. and the year after. I was like, I mean it kind of makes I mean the guitar work nobody was doing that. But right. as far as the melody and the the approach, I mean, you know, like I said I mentioned earlier like 7 seconds ourselves was like 88 and mm. like Circle Jerks I know that Circle Jerks stayed pretty punk, but they were like they were getting into the realm of like six came out around that same time. And that's what I saw them. And like all these bands that like soul side trigger came out around then, And that was very melodic and embrace and all the, all that stuff was like, it was definitely like they weren't alone, but I think the approach was certainly fresh. Um, was there like very a guitar centric and was there like a, this is ruining hardcore. Like were there people who were like, this is, this is gonna think, kill hardcore, or like was everybody I think we were too old? But yeah, I mean, you have to think we're too, too young like, then, in that scene. Yeah, but oh, okay. Yeah. But like you know, we were talking about the Wallflowers being on the top of the charts when we were making the Moon mm-hmm. My Saddle. Like you know, Skid Row was probably on the top of the charts when yeah. they were making We Got a Denko. So like, um, 
I mean, you wonder how much of that seeped in. I mean, like the last song, um, I have notes here, oh, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Crucial three. There's like this bar rock, crazy shredder. Mm. Yeah. Um, solo at the end of the record. I'm just like, this does, this doesn't even sound good for glam rock. Like, this is just <laughs> a silly solo but, by a silly man. But, yeah. it, but to be honest, when I heard it then, I mean, it probably triggered some weird shit in my brain, but I still was, you know, I still was into it. I, I still like, I bought in on it. Um, yeah. Like when they played, I'm not, I wish I knew which, which song it was. And it might've been crucial three, but they, when they played, um, in Lafayette, I was 13 or 14 years old, got dropped off, you know, by my mom went into this little, like, I mean, it was probably like 50 of us in this room Yeah. and they played and the power went out or something. And they invited us all on stage to like sit. So it was like the stage was like two feet tall. We mm-hmm. sat on the stage and they played like acoustic for as long as it took to dial in whatever was going on. And that moment is where that was it. That was like this moment of like, this is fucking awesome. Like, that's cool. Like, this is a breaking moment for me. This is, it, it was like the first time I saw Seven Seconds and I, I saw like a, like, oh wow, like Kevin Seconds has a presence to him. Like, Mm-hmm. Unlike any other front man that I'd ever seen, I was like, oh, this is allowed? And no, the, the answer is no, it wasn't allowed. <laughs> they were doing it because fuck it. And that, I right. think that influenced everything I did moving forward. I don't know. Like, yeah. No, that, that's rad. No, like, there's definitely like, those moments where you're in a room and you realize that like something special is happening. You know, yeah, and- it wasn't supposed to happen. It felt organic. You know, it wasn't like this is where we bring the set down and and everybody gets invited <laughs> yeah. up. It was yeah. like it was like very organic. I mean, granted, I was fourteen or whatever, however old I was, but like, it felt life altering for me. Yeah, I know. No. I know exactly how you feel. Uh, when I was fourteen, I was at a show called Vanderpalooza. It was in someone's backyard. <laughs> Uh, they couldn't get the band to stop playing, so they cut the power. Or the cops go. like cut the power, oh. and it was a whole uh, backyard full of kids singing along to a Hub Rubber song called "No Girls Club," and that was a formidable moment for me. Yeah, no, I think, I think <laughs> Adam, how do you feel about that moment? I for feel me? like the lens. I feel like the lens just got you? that that Vaseline look to it. Like, oh my god! Yeah, everything got real hazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, we got a yeah, just a, a star wipe to a to a moment there. Yeah, no, it's I I think that's something that is something special with the kind of music that we talk about the, on this podcast. I was gonna say, is this a punk uh, like exclusive? I mean, is that feeling exclusively punk? Yeah, like I I mean, those are feelings. I I mean. I think that's the big thing about going to, and again, like this is a tunnel vision experience because I think all of us have grew up in similar punk scenes in the sense that like, we're not going to underground hip hop shows, you know, like, uh, at least not me personally, but you yeah. know, so maybe stuff like that is happening that way too. But yeah, kind of the probably... idea of like going to shows and the band is playing on the floor and you're at the same exact level as the lead singer and you're yelling in his face too. And yeah. like, I feel like it's those moments that you realize, like, and, and I've talked about this on the podcast in a very, like, you know, not like, I don't know. It comes off as, as, as not disingenuous, but almost too genuous. But like, 
I'm very fortunate to say that a lot of my favorite bands are people that I know personally. And I think that's not something that's common with a lot of music. You know, like there isn't a barrier between the people who like the music and the people who make the music. And I don't think that translates across the board. You know, people who like pop music, and I like pop music, but you're not going to see, you know, my favorite band, JD and the Straight Shots, and you're not. You're not seeing them. <laughs> You're looking up at them on the stage, you know, because I paid for the premium orchestra seats. But um, yeah, I think the people. <laughs> I think probably reach like I think the connection that those people probably make are, you know, uh, viral videos that go out of like people working behind the scenes on something, or you yeah. know, like yeah. that's probably their moment of like intimate touch points. Um, yeah, and I think that's what you're kind of t- talking about. And by by no means, like these bands were, being from Indiana, these bands were untouchable for us. We, these were mail order bands that we got mm. lucky if we heard. Yeah. And, you know, a record came in the mail and you were like, either it sucked terribly or it changed <laughs> your life. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Like, I don't know what the equivalent is. I do think that there's probably like an underground hip hop scene where that would same thing could happen. I think that that's oh, yeah. probably very special. But I do think that the 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 through line is is that it's subculture. Yeah. It's yeah. something well, that's I think not it's normal. age, it's yeah. uh it, it's well, pr- it's intimacy, it's proximity. That is something sure. I think it, it there happens, is a probably pretty happens in every direct scene. parallel to like the hip hop scene and the punk scene in a lot of ways in the sense it's like people who have you know, maybe limited outlet and a lot of creative, you know, energy who put it out in any way that they can, whether that's, you know, playing a bar, it's handing out CDRs on the street. It's, yep. you know, and yep. it's the same deal. It's like, I, I don't have the resources to have someone else do this for me. So I'm going to do it because it has to get yeah. out there. And I think there is a lot of parallels to that in a, in a way where it's just like, this is my voice. I need people to hear it. I'm going to like find whatever way I can to make people hear it. But I think also like people who bond with pop music and things like that, like, you know, there's, you know, maybe lyrics that they relate to. There's like an emotional touch, but like with punk and these smaller shows, there's a physical element to it too. That I think is like, for me personally, what completes the circuit, at least like at the age where this really made an impact. And it's like, being in that room with a hundred other people who all are singing the words back, that's an energy that you can't get on a recorded song, you know? Yeah. And I think nowadays, I mean, I remember when like my niece was first getting into like music and of course she got into Taylor Swift. It was the first thing. And with those kids, I mean, with like pop artists now, it's like, you know, there's a premium on like getting someone to to like your post or <laughs> yeah. like there's, there's there's a there's still that craving of like getting that interaction yeah. but we were lucky enough to just like oh yeah that band stayed at my house yeah yeah the, right. the social currency has changed a little bit yeah exactly what taylor swift didn't stay at your house <laughs> no taylor swift did, did, not did you guys ever house. see the video of taylor swift covering jimmy Eat world that's the thing that exists out there I don't she's, doubt it. That makes she's sense. A, she's I mean, a Jimmy head. Jimmy head. Yeah. I mean, you can't blame her. Yeah, uh, you can. I, uh, I'm going to ask the question that's on everybody's mind. What oh. does wig out at Denko's mean? <laughs> so there is a story to that. And I had to look it up earlier. Not earlier, but uh, 
Because N.N. covered all of the records. They're doing all of the record, all the Discord records. And it was like some, this was the side of the things that I wasn't ready for as a kid. You know, them covering Under Your Influence, which we were like so into. Mm-hmm. And kind of joking about it and making, making light of it. And I wasn't ready for that. But I still welcome this record when it came out. Um, but I think because it was just a force and there, I didn't really have a choice, but, um, it was like, you know, party house stoner or something or the other, like it was as literal as it, cause it kind of can be like, we're partying at Denko's house or something. Fucking yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I, I looked into it as well, but no, uh, Adam, go on. Oh no. Yeah. But I mean, Peter says, you know, like we're going to, you know, we're gonna be on, you know, Coke can and Doritos. I think it was sort of like, let's let's not mess around at, at Denko's. Like, let's not do the malt liquor and the stuff that everybody else is doing. I, it almost feels like it's yeah, like under influence, like a straight edge jam or something. See, yeah, I don't I, know. In my brain, I took yeah, I took that the side of things like everyone's on, like people aren't having a bad time on acid. How spilling malt liquor on his minor threat sticker is a great line. Uh, right. yes. But then, like, I think I think they when they said let's stick to Coke and Doritos, I think they mean like Coca Cola more than Coca-Cola. cocaine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, that was not. No, a- yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. So, and I think yeah, being on Discord too, that that seems to probably be the most the, the Occam's razor of what they mean. You know, the simplest the simplest explanation. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was something like one of their friends would drag them to this kid's house party all the time, kind of deal. Yeah. And I do think, as you mentioned, Discord and and how I mean, Ian MacKay produced all of this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. like I think that was the um, that was the and, and as a kid, I don't know that I understood that, mm-hmm. but that was the acceptance card. That was the like, yeah. well, the yeah. dude that's doing all of this stuff, the guy who's responsible for all of this stuff, is putting his stamp. Yeah, he wouldn't. He wouldn't be involved in something lame, right? You know, what? Uh, and they're all recorded in her ear too. And like, I mean, I remember we. We're trying to figure out where to record. Was it Fates or it was, or was it? Must have been it might have even been f- for the love. But I, mean, I remember Clay like called inner ear. That's right. Uh, on the phone, he was like, "What is it going to cost? What's the day rate?" <laughs> They're probably like seventy bucks. We're like, whoa! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, uh, I, I I don't know. I I think can I say sounds better. I don't know if you guys ag- As, agree. Uh, uh, as a sound, uh, just a cohesive sound all, all yeah, around. Yeah, and I think yeah. that like the guitars sound a little bit better. Uh, on on uh, on Wig Out, his guitars sound a little more lonely. <laughs> well, I think that's on yeah. purpose. I think that, I think that the guitars driving driving the record. I think if you think about, and I'm just projecting here, but like like he he's the driving force through this thing like the guitar is obviously like throughout the whole thing is like, man, your guitar part, you know, you get told that out time and time again, everything becomes a, like when it's, when it's kind of like touted the way that it probably was at the time over the couple years that they were doing Dag Nasty, it was like, man, the guitar parts are crazy. So then they get crazier and they get like louder mm-hmm. and they get more on top. And I mean, he was the driving, the creative driving force for sure. So it only makes sense. That's what I kind of love about this record is the awkwardness of that. And like, uh, you know, I, I think that, can I say as a, like 
unfuckable with record. I th- I think that you can't like, but that's, I think that's kind of why Adam and I were like, well, this, this like wig out is kind of the, like the fun, the fun one to talk about. Like, yeah. I mean, can I say it's definitely more memorable, especially for the, for the times. And like I said, it's got every song is just an anthem and it, you know, it drove us to like want to cover one of the songs yeah. from it, but mm-hmm. you know, um, but when you look at, I mean, it's looking at the sales, but this, but we got had like hits on it, man. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, exercises and, um, fall. fall. Yeah. Fall, fall rip yeah. safe. Yeah. Safe is really good. The, yeah. the bridge, Am I safe? The, uh, yeah. the bridge and fall is like better than any of the songs that any rec, any song I, they ever put I, out. I got a little too hung up on the I am a rubber ball line. That, <laughs> I actually made a I note that, that it was like, I think the bridge saves how bad that line is. Yeah, no, I think yeah, I think you're right because it is a catchy fucking song, but it's like, yeah, I on, am a rubber on. ball. I even wrote down the lyrics again because I was like, yeah, I am a rubber ball, but then it goes into. I even wrote cheesy, but the bridge is fire. <laughs> I, can, yeah. I can last a lifetime or be done within a day. I can be picked yeah. up. I can't be thrown away. That whole section is just like fuck it, hang up everything, yeah. burn the yeah, fucking house down. This is it's mm-hmm. so. I love how the drums are recorded on this. I just kind of love like the like the bass and the to- the pace and the tom drop like just is booming like it has this in your face kind of presence to it that I think sounds really cool. Um, but the le- yeah the lyrics on the record were definitely a little bit of a hang up in certain ways. Some some are very it's all very simplistic. Some of them to their benefit and some to their detriment for sure. Yeah, I mean, but ultimately as a as a piece of art like right. It it is a better record because as Curtis is saying earlier, like you know, like Smalley didn't even like write the words yeah. on the first record. It was he's almost like just you know singing all the the Sean Brown stuff, and you know Peter, as far as I know, like wrote or maybe Brian helped, but like you know these were all his experiences and his words, and um, that's why I was saying like as a it's a piece of art, it's and a piece of expression. Yeah, Wig Out is a better. Is a more um, authentic piece of expression. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that that's something we've actually, on the, the last few episodes of this podcast, has been like, we've kind of talked about not the obvious record to talk about, and instead of talked about like something that's a little more different or a different direction or a more challenging record, and it, it it's kind of fun to, to kind of talk about the record that not everyone wants to talk about all the time, you know? And I think that's, that's right. why this is like a great choice instead of, can I say, you know? Yeah, I think, I th- yeah, I, d- I don't think there's any messing with can I say, but I also think it's been talked about a million times. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, like, there's just some sweet spot I have with these records that are just like melodic, reaching for the stars and say, fuck it. Well, and there's also something to say about like... A record that has pretty simple and very like to the point and not necessarily like you know, they're not esoteric metaphorical lyrics more or less outside of saying things like I am a rubber ball, I bounce when I fall, you know. Like, <laughs> but 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 to be fair, you're approaching this from a person who heard them much later. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah, what yeah. we were hearing at that time was I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't fuck. At least I can fucking think. You know, yeah. like yeah, the, yeah. these lyrics were like personal. And these lyrics were, these lyrics were like, you know, they didn't have to be in this, this box of like acceptable things to talk about. These were like 
maybe it was partying at some guy named Dinko's house. Maybe yeah. it was like this emotion of getting broken up with. Maybe, it, you know, like all of that stuff was coming out then that you were a lot like either you were suddenly allowed to or you just didn't care and you started talking about in lyrics. And I yeah. think I think that that was a, a big part of it. You know, I don't think that they're, you know, it's not Dylan Thomas by any means. And coming from the yeah. band that I am, yeah. I have been in, been in and, and been a part of lyrics were always a huge part of what we were doing. Mm-hmm. But um, that's kind of also the reason why Adam and I are sitting here talking about this record and not David. Yeah. Well, they also uh, seem like fun lyrics to, to sing back, you know? Like these, these are fun lyrics to, to, to scream back at a show, you know? Yeah, I mean, they were pretty, they're pretty mellow compared to the Can I Say stuff, but I think that's also kind of part of the awkward awesomeness of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I think there, he, was a, he was, like, definitely more of a melodic, less of a screamer, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. So. Final thoughts? <laughs> um, my final thought is, uh, rest in peace, Coolio. Oh, I just heard about this, just too. Saw that. We, all, we all got the alert. Uh, we did get the alert. As of um, press time, yeah, RIP Coolio. Uh, I mean, he was a big deal, you know, in the era that we're talking about. Oh, absolutely. Gangster's Paradise is a perfect song. Perfect music video, too. Uh, that's true. I prefer yeah. Amish Paradise myself, but yeah. hey, well, I don't mean to. I don't. If, mean, I don't mean to spit on the grave of Coolio. If, if Coolio didn't exist, that that Weird Al song wouldn't exist either. So, mm. man, you know, we were and talking about influences earlier. Wow, Coolio. But yeah, that's a that's a bummer. Any thoughts? So what do you guys final thoughts on Coolio? <laughs> yeah. What do you guys got to plug? Another uh, another remix. And. No, we don't want another remix. Um, you know, we did shows in um, the spring, and then when we got done with the shows, we were like, you know, um, we don't. We, it was kind of the first time that we walked away being like, we don't have a plan. We don't have a plan. That's okay. Yeah. Like that's just okay. Like let's let things as they tend to do with us. Like you know, organically evolve or not evolve. Yeah, I um, think. Uh, I think my final thought is shows like for bands in this world that's uh post pandemic or whatever we are in if it's mid or whatever i think it's tough out there and i think uh my final thought is to support the ones that are out there doing it full time and trying to make a living at it and the ones that you love but you'll catch on the next round or whatever quit being a pussy and get out and go see the shows <laughs> yeah yeah well uh, it's not it's not easy i watch i watch you know our our now who are friends bands going out and playing and i think that their shows are great i think that people are doing well but it can't be easy it can't like nothing like unless you're playing festivals like it's not an easy time so support those guys yeah yeah and it's it wasn't you know and i'm very grateful that we got to play some shows around our our newest record i mean it's a miracle we we did any of them, but it's sort of like, um, you know, I, I, part of me wonders you know, what would have happened had there not been a pandemic. Our record came out mm. like the the uh, our Kickstarter came out uh, the month before the pandemic Shit. hit. It's actually Red Weather's fault. Yes, it is Red <laughs> Weather's fault. I knew um, I had to, need to blame. But it wouldn't somebody. be a Chamberlain thing if I didn't, you know, if there wasn't what ifs. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. This, uh, I mean, that's something I've I've 
I was a music photographer for years and I would I was shooting concerts all the time to the point where I got burnt out and I'm like kind of finally returning to going to shows again in in a way since the pandemic and it feels good. I've been recapturing some of that energy that I felt, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Yeah. So that's been that's been really nice. And uh um, yeah, same. But yeah, uh so I mean to to plug for you obviously, I think definitely listen to the new Chamberlain record, check it out. Uh, hit up Adam if you need any uh, scoring for your your documentary in the works. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or your uh, uh, draperies company, or your <laughs> yeah, yeah. window <laughs> your window finishing uh, needs. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I I do have to hear that that blinds to go riff. It's. I tried uh, to find it. I it's no, you can't. It was like a. It was like a. You can't. It was on Monday Night Football, but it was like on the uh, the streaming, the ESPN right. well, streaming. Uh-huh. I'm sure you have the file somewhere. So if you could send that our way, we'd we'd love to hear it. <laughs> uh, right. I'll, I'll see if I, I can call wait. the company. I can't. Curtis, wait. do you have anything to promote specifically besides? No, uh, don't, if, don't, don't. Uh, I don't need anything promoted. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm doing fine with that, uh, but it's awesome that you guys uh, reached out and uh, yeah, the, yeah. Check out uh, check out my photo work on the latest ad for advertising project that Curtis is working on. <laughs> Thanks I, in advance. I'd love to see your photo work. And, uh, uh, Dan, what do you have to plug? Uh, you something. know, I have a lot of photo work to plug. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, no, Dan Bassini on Twitter and Instagram, danbassini.com. Uh, my latest book, No Invite, Volume Eight, is out now. Now, no invite volume nine very much possibly in the works we'll see uh but yeah check out the website got a lot of stuff to to sell you and uh andrew what do you got to plug uh i do a podcast called run into the ground um <laughs> you can uh find us on twitter at run in the number two the ground uh also on instagram at run into the ground if you want to follow me personally if you want to see my just pictures of my kid uh, at Mice Bro Called Life. Uh, for you New Yorkers, I'll be in town next weekend, so let's hang out. There you go. Oh, wait, this will be out this after be, yeah, I'm already this, home, so never yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I hung out. It was very fun. Adam and I uh, had rooftop <laughs> drinks at the William Penn Hotel. William yeah, Tell sure. Hotel. Yeah. Let's make it happen. Yep. And, uh, yeah, everybody else, uh, nuts, please though. rate, review, take subscribe. Me the, uh, take me to the Joker steps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody, please rate, review, is subscribe. Is that a euphemism? Share. It's north. It is north. Yeah. <laughs> I saw. I saw a hat. I regret not buying it. There was a hat that someone had uh, that literally just said the Joker steps on a hat, and I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> but you gotta. Uh, sometimes you gotta. Sometimes you know it's national landmark. But uh, yeah, I think until next time. Thanks again, guys, for coming on. Uh, absolute pleasure. This was a fucking blast. So looking forward to. To seeing you guys again soon. Let's see. Excellent. It. Thank you for All having right. us. All right. See y'all. Take Thanks care, guys. Yeah. Bye bye. Take care. Let